Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. Delighted to say my guest on this edition is Matt Hewitt, the writer of, uh, well, his pro snooker blog. He's editor, he's writer, he's everything. And uh, it's just been announced recently that he's going to be working uh, for the WPBSA in much the same role, giving us information on the rankings and all sorts of other things as well. Matt, you're a proper snooker fan. How did you get into snooker? How old were you and how did it happen? Uh, I can't remember a particular match, nothing like that, but I grew up in the 90s. Um, remember watching it on TV, Stephen Hendry... Ken Doherty, uh, the 97 final, uh, the Crucible springs to mind. Um, and then I suppose it jumped to another level in around 2005 when I went to the Crucible for the first time when I was 18. Um, and that was, that was the first time I'd seen live snooker in the, in the flesh. And what did you make of that? Everyone always says the Crucible, oh, you know, I didn't expect it to be this small. Was that your sort of reaction? That was exactly the first reaction. <laughs> as soon as I walked in, I, I couldn't believe how small it was. At that time, you had the music playing still, mm. the old pop black theme. Um, it was Ronnie O'Sullivan against Stephen Maguire, okay. um, so it was a good first match to be in. Um, and I was quite far back, from a J or H or something, but it, you just spend the whole time. It's, it wasn't just the, the Crucible I'd been to for the first time, it was snooker full stop, yeah. so it was just little things like remembering, you know, recognising when the frame was won before earpieces came yeah, in yeah. and everything like that. So, similar experience to many snooker fans, I'm mm. sure. And you were a Stephen Hendry fan in yes. those days, yeah. Yeah, um, Hendry and, and Ken Doherty as well, mm. they were my two favourite players. Mm. Um, I think it's just that growing up in the 90s, yeah. supporting a winner almost in a way subconsciously, but mm. I always admired with Hendry the way that he would clear the, the table, he wouldn't play exhibitions shots once he got to 60 or 70. Mm. I, I just liked that for some reason, mm. I just liked that single-mindedness that, mm. that he brought. Um, mm. The only world title I really remember him winning was the 1990s last one. Um, but but yeah yeah he was definitely my favourite. Okay, so it's one thing to be a fan, but you then set up your website, and I think I'm right in saying it actually. It's you set it up really because you were appalled at a spelling mistake of a play. was it Steve Maguire's name it on was. another website? It was. And you, were so, you were so offended. You thought <laughs> I'm going to do I'm going to do my own. Yeah, it was, yeah, that kind of was it really. Um, it was the Northern Ireland Trophy in 2008, <laughs> and uh, I've still got the article in my favourites. So it's uh, quite entertaining every now and again. But yeah, it was. They spelt it McGuire, <laughs> so uh, MC 
capital G. And um, I just remember thinking, if that's the standard, then I had, you know, in my personal life, I had a bit of spare time as well at that point, and I just thought I'd create the website. Um, see what happened because really. mm. there wasn't there weren't that many snooker websites I mean the, the first one I remember was um, what's now snooker.org which Herman runs in, in Norway Global Snooker Centre which Jenny Watkins you know, excellently maintained for many years where there wasn't really any other source of information other than World Snookers I started my blog and then yours came along there wasn't really much else was there? No not at all um, <laughs> as you say Jenny Watkins' Global Snooker Centre was fantastic I I used to remember when I was 16 at college, going up to the IT room and checking yeah. the latest scores and the rankings on there, and that was 2004. Um, and then you set your blog, I think it was 2006, yeah. right? So, um, and, and that was it. There was the official World Snooker website, but beyond that, there was very little on there. Um, so, yeah, there was definitely a gap when, when looking back. It was before Twitter, which was the main yeah. Point uh, that did change things a bit. So, what were you trying to achieve with it? Were you just trying as a fan to write your perspective? Was there anything when you started out that you were trying to achieve with it? I think that was it. Um, I mean, I'd been to the crucible three or four times by that point, and I'd got take a lot of pictures as I do now. Um, and I just felt that I had a bit of insight from going to the tournaments that I would like to share. Mm. I would be writing it. The, the, the stories would be in my head anyway, so why not share them? Mm. At the time, I had a couple of friends who were doing blogs on other sports, and I'd seen they'd had success as well. So it just, I just thought, why not? Um, and the objective was to give a bit of opinion and to put a bit of spotlight on the sport. Mm. And you still did that, because what, what you ended up doing was becoming the world's leading expert on, on the world ranking list, and not just the official list, but every possible permutation, provisional, one year, whatever you, whatever anyone wants, it's there. How, why? Well, it's, it's the obvious <laughs> question because it seems like a lot of work to most of us. Yeah, it, when the inspiration, I guess, if you can call it that, was when Janie did her website on Global and she used to do exactly mm. the same. She did the provisional rankings. They were only updated once a season at that point, but it was still interesting just to find how, you know, where they were really ranked in, in live terms. And um, around 2008, by pure coincidence, she stopped doing her website and joined Oki uh, Promotions. Mm. So, um, I always followed the rankings, and she had stopped doing them. So again, I just I filled the gap effectively, mm. um, and obviously that changed in two thousand and ten. Yeah, and, and I mean, it seems. I mean, I've I've never really the rankings have never really interested me that much. But if you are interested in them, you can really get interested because there's so many, as you say, permutations, the cutoffs, the seedings. But I mean, how much work is it? It seems like a lot. Yeah, it it is definitely. I mean, you have one spreadsheet. We have going into all details but um, it's just making sure that you're adding the right money on mm. and taking the right money off or points as it was previously um, and then it's not only getting the spreadsheet right but typing it up on the website and um, yeah definitely over recent years as well you get often inquiries from players mm. who say you know how am I doing for this tournament am I going to be in that one mm. and, and that's become I, I want it to be right anyway but it does add an extra pressure knowing yeah. that Obviously, people are reading it. So, play, so players, they, they will ring you up, they'll contact you, and, and they'll say, you know, what do I need to do in the UK Championship or whatever tournament to, to get in the top 64, top 32, whatever it is? Yeah, absolutely. Which, obviously, when I started the website in 2008, was I never even thought that one player would ever read it, <laughs> never mind. Yeah. Um, never mind that sort of thing. So, it's it, it snowballed to mm. a um, scary degree, really. The world rankings, I mean, they've changed a lot. When, when In the 1980s, when the ranking list was first established, well, first of all, it was because there was only one ranking event, the World Championship, so it was your performance the last three World Championships. 
And so some more tournaments came in, and they had a very simple structure. It was um, if you won a tournament, well, if you won a match, you got a point, in effect. So one one point for the last 32, two for the last 16, so on and so on. You won a tournament, it was six points. World Championship was ten. Very simple. Um, seems quite sort of an old-fashioned one, but if you look at the ranking list from the 80s, they were all basically right. No one would quibble with, with the order of them because they only changed once a year after the end of the season. They were two-year lists. And then at some point, it's, it's claimed... and. It, Sadly, he's not here to defend himself, but it's claimed that John Spencer, when he was chairman of the WPBSA, worked out the next ranking system on the back of a fag packet. Now, that, that could be one of those stories that get told at snooker tournaments. It might not have been quite that sort of um, you know, mundane. But uh, suddenly, hundreds and thousands of points came in. Uh, it literally went from one point a match to thousands. But, of course, now it's done on prize money. Mm. And it, it, it certainly is. It does favour someone like Ronnie O'Sullivan, for example, who won't play in every tournament, but if he wins a big one... His world ranking for, for the two years anyway, until it gets taken off, is um, obviously sort of protected to a, to a degree. I mean, do, what do you think of that? Is that is that the right way of doing it? Has it worked? Do, do, do you think people even care? Do they understand it? Do they care? Well, I don't think they do, no. to be honest. Um, obviously, one of the reasons it was brought in, um, it, it shows the prize money from the tournament. It makes it more attractive to promoters, mm-hmm. which is a fair point. Mm-hmm. Um, from a player's perspective, I do get the feeling that the point system was probably more popular, but to be honest, I don't. Obviously, a lot of fuss was made at the time, mm. but we're a couple of years on now. We're all yeah. used to the prize money system, and I don't think anyone. I don't think it's a big issue now. I just think people get confused because I think people forget the points come off. So they'll see, yes. like Mark Allen won the Bulgarian Open. I think he went down. He dropped a place. Yeah, and you kind of think, how could that happen? But because it's what happened two years before. He won a PTC in Gloucester. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened. Do, do you think? I mean, do you think players? I suppose they don't need to understand it necessarily. They need to understand what's happening to them. I guess that's mm. what they care about. That's why they contact you. Where am I? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If the World Championship's coming up, what what do I need to do? Have I got a chance? Mm. Um, or the other thing is if they need to enter a tournament, if they're thinking, oh, you know, I might give that one a miss. Mm. Um, but if they go in it and they win it, and it might get them into a tournament, they might mm. decide to enter. So, um, yeah, there's all sorts of reasons. Tall places, that's the other big issue. Obviously, mm. once it's the World Championship qualifiers, it's... It's a very nervy time for the players involved. Mm. Um, you get quite excited towards the end of the season, don't you? When, because there's lots of things. There's like tour survival. Yeah. There's getting in the players' championship. There's getting in the world grand prix. I, I mean, last year, put in, the, the simple term is that my traffic for the website, the highest day, wasn't at the world championship. Mm. It was the final day of the Gardenia yeah. Open, yeah. and that's when um, the players' championship places were decided. A lot of tour places, um, world grand prix places were decided that day, mm. and. The, Hits on the website were fantastic from that day, and that says it all to be honest. They're probably all from Fergal O'Brien, who I think missed out, all, <laughs> missed out on all of them, unfortunately, by like one place for ridiculous reasons. But um, so you're, you're, you've sort of come into the inner circle now, haven't you? You know, you started obviously, like most people, you, you, you watch snooker, mm. went to tournaments. When did you start actually being allowed in, as it were? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the first, the big change for my website during the first two, three years, it got hits. Fans viewed it, a couple of players viewed it, it was going very well. But the big change was 2010 when the rolling rankings came in. That was a huge change because, frankly, the players didn't understand it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> most of the fans didn't. <laughs> and um, that that was when I started producing the, the rankings on my website. And um, that's when interest really, really generated. The big turning point for me as well was the World Championship qualifiers in 2011. At the time, the live scores didn't work. Surely not. <laughs> Perish the thought. <laughs> um, 
Thank, life, thank goodness that's been fixed. Go, yeah. Continue. <laughs> the live scores didn't work. There was no streaming. And for people outside of the English Institute for Sport in Sheffield, there was no way yeah. to know what was going on yeah. at the World Championship qualifiers. And I joined Twitter recently, and I just began tweeting updates. Mm. So-and-so has gone 6-5 up. Um, things like that. And then my Twitter followers exploded from about 200 to 2,000 yeah. in the space of a week. Yeah. Um, so that was a, a big, um, a bit of a big spark, and then secondly, the same year um, that was the first time I was allowed into the media room at the Crucible, which having been in the crowd paying for tickets, mm. making the trip across for six or seven years before then, that was for someone who was just a fan. Yeah, that was an incredible experience being shown around the commentary boxes. Mm. That um, obviously. Photographer Monique Limbaugh, she took me into the mm. photography booth and watching Mark Allen, Mark Williams play, I remember. And just from someone who just watched it on TV and been in the crowd, it was an unbelievable experience. What, what did you sort of expect from the media room? Because I mean, obviously, I've sort of been there years and you kind of just get jaded by it and it's, it's just routine. But coming into it, what did you expect and did it meet, meet those expectations? Yeah, I'm not sure what to expect. Really. <laughs> was, um, I just remember by pure coincidence, as I was signing in for the first time, um, Hector Nuns was arriving, mm. and uh, I said who I was. He'd already followed me on Twitter, and for that week when I was in the media, he was really he just mm. showed me the ropes, so to speak, really. And it was just interesting speaking to him from the point of view of a journalist to understand what he's doing, and you know some of the stories he writes. Um, you know, they're not necessarily stories I would write. Mm. He's not going to get an article on the world rankings in no. the in the newspapers. No. So it was just interesting to to learn the journalism mm. um angle of it and just what his role was. Um and yeah I definitely noticed the second year I felt a lot more because I was there for the whole tournament mm. and I'd known more people and you know just helping people if people wanted to know what the hybrid rate was in the tournament, shouting mm. it out and just getting to know people. I felt a lot more established and a lot more settled in the media room the yeah. second year I would say I mean it's, it has always been a friendly place although the first time I was ever in the snooker press room I saw a stand up argument between two grown men two journalists about, about someone had got someone else's chair I mean all the chairs were the same so why it mattered but anyway there was a there was a row about it but you do get some sort of big personalities in there but it, it's, it is a friendly world isn't it you know people mm-hmm. will help each other and you know and as you've said you have information you can give to them as well so you, you've become I mean they call you like young Phil Yates I think Rob Walker <laughs> I meant as a compliment, yes. um, because you do have these sort of stats at your fingertip. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing for me is that I'm quite good at, um, if I don't know something, I know where to get it quickly, mm. and obviously for a, a journalist that's <coughs> quite important. Mm. Um, and yeah, we all help each other out, if, each other out. Everybody, you know, everybody's got their own um, angle, their own story, their writing, mm. you know, people might be doing different things, but if someone needs to know where somebody's ranked, or where, you know, when someone's playing, where they're from everybody shouts out mm. and helps and that. I've really enjoyed it to be honest I've, mm. I've enjoyed it more than I thought I would mm. um, and especially I think in recent years the bloggers and not necessarily the, the standard press have become a bigger um, presence in the media room mm. and obviously that's helped as well Yes I mean it's been a bit of a sort of clash of old versus new media I guess and, and, and I suppose you've had to be a little bit careful sometimes because journalists for newspapers want certain things kept back for the next day and you've had to sort of learn that as well I suppose. Yeah I, mean, I remember the first time I came across that <laughs> and it was when um, Mark Williams was going to a press conference after he'd lost in the semi-finals in uh, 2011 and you know that someone mentioned you know just don't necessarily tweet everything from the press mm. conference and I remember thinking you know why is that and then 
obviously I've been in there longer and mm. I know the score so to speak and it's just a it's, it's a necessity for the journalists it's, yeah. it's um, obviously they need something to write for the next week so. I think increasingly press conferences are sort of not where the stories are unless mm. someone says something dramatic you'll find that the journalists will speak to the players afterwards so they, they can, can then protect it because at the end of the World Championship, I think semi-finals onwards, they were going out live on YouTube. Yeah, so absolutely. anyone could have watched them. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of constant battle. You see it in football, you see a lot of press conferences go out live. And even now football journalists you'll see tweeting instantly because they have to sort of beat the opposition, even on Twitter, even though no one is actually paying for it. They've still got to be seen to, to be doing it. I think the good thing for me, and this has always been the case, is that I'm not in competition with them. Yes. That I'm there trying to give the fans an insight into the sports. Obviously that's evolved a little bit since, but... The, the core of the website has still been to promote interest in the sport mm. and to, you know, you've got fan, fans in Germany who've never been to the Crucible and, you know, we all know how enthusiastic yeah. they are and if I can tweet a few pictures from behind the scenes and make them feel more mm. part of the tournament and like they're there, then I've done my job as far as I'm mm. concerned. Um, so what's, what is your sort of feed, general feedback like from people? Do, do they still appreciate, you know, your efforts? Yeah, uh, my attitude since I started the website has always been if, if one person takes something from the article then it's been mm. worth doing and I think that's set me in good stead from that point of view but um, yeah it's, it's been positive um, and obviously that's evolved over time with Twitter you know, the Rob Lawler against Igor Figueredo match last year at the World Qualifiers most of the people tweeting me for updates were fellow players back yeah. in their hotel rooms yeah. wanting to know what was going on yeah. so it's fans, players, broadcasters it's it's scary, really. Yeah. But, of course, it's just been announced very recently that you now, you've got a new role because mm. um, the WPWSA have uh, is, is it, they've been bringing you bring into the venue and you've sort of been part of the Snooker family, but you're now actually going to be working effectively for Jason Ferguson, the chairman. Yes. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, we've been talking about it for a while. Um, it's been something that Jason's, Jason's wanted to get me on board for, for some time, um, but it's just case of getting the timing right but um, yeah the timing is right now and um, that's something that's going to be happening uh, over the coming months um, in terms of the aims and the objectives I'm still hoping to be doing the the content I'm doing at the, at the moment the rankings are still going mm. to be a, a core feature um, but also it's going to be about sports development obviously Jason has a lot of initiatives that he's involved in the WDBS mm. the uh, Ladies Association um, and if I can help um, with regards to those, that's also a positive thing. And also, in terms of, obviously, the WPBSA, the players' body, effectively, when the sport was separated, when Barry Hearn returned, mm. um, the first thing he did was to split that, from the commercial arm to the sports arm. And, um, you know, doing my bit to promote the players and help promote the players' interests commercially and with the fan base, um, that's something I'm going to be looking at as well. So it was an easy job to say yes to. You didn't have any doubts. No, no, not at all. Um, I mean, from my point of view, it's as a snooker fan, um, the chance of actually working snooker is it's a once in a lifetime opportunity mm. for me. And um, Jason as well. I met him in Gloucester. I think it was, I think it was when Rod Lawler won his PTC that um, I was introduced to him by Paul Mount, and you know we had a chat about the website and things we could do and ways we could work together. And three years later, here we are. Brilliant. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, the sort of online community that there is, because, uh, as you say, when, when you sort of started out, there wasn't that. There wasn't Twitter, and, and there wasn't that. There were forums, yes, but that instant 
you know that we see now when you see a match on and people are giving their opinions or something happens and people join in. It, it, what, what do you think that does for the game? It, I suppose it keeps interest going. It keeps people interested because they're part of a community, maybe. Yeah, it's interesting. You've got obviously you've got the snooker fans um, on forums who've gravitated to Twitter, uh, <clears throat> but the the interesting point is the interaction with the players because when <coughs> you're a fan at home watching. Mark Williams on TV, mm-hmm. you wouldn't know the first thing about him. Mm. All you know is that he's a very good snooker player who turns up, wins everything when I was growing up, mm. and um, that that was it really. And then obviously he joined Twitter, and, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, with mixed success. He's yeah. Got to say. yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, as part, of, from speaking to fans, he's by far the most yeah. popular player online um, because he's he's himself mm. and. Um, now people who follow him on Twitter know exactly what he's you know yeah, how yeah. funny he is yeah. and his sense of humour, you know obviously he's, he's he's very popular with the fans and without Twitter there wouldn't have been that interaction. Mm. Um, we used to hear in commentary that you know Hendry and Williams used to text yeah. each other jokes. You used to hear that every session on on TV, mm. but now you can look at his tweets and think I know exactly what they were texting mm. each other now. Mm. Um, probably about banter. probably about BT because I think he's still <laughs> yes. still trying to get that phone line done, isn't he? Yeah. I think... <laughs> I think it's been going on for about nine months now, it's become quite a saga, hasn't it? But um yeah, so I think from the point of view of interacting with the players, that's um Twitter's been fantastic for that. Because mm. social media it, it it's it's a new phenomenon and it does get a bad rap at times. People are a bit doubtful about it and you know, not every player has been sensible, shall we say, all the all the time, especially after after they've been beaten in a tournament. But as you say, it is bringing their personalities to the audience in a different way to just watching them play or even being interviewed because interviews can be some players can find that quite difficult they find it you know like they have to be on the best behaviour and say the right things but online it's different isn't it and, 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 but also as you say they can speak directly to fans and it seems snooker players will do they, they, don't, they don't feel that they shouldn't they feel that, you know they're down to earth people themselves and, and why not mm, I mean Sean Murphy's the obvious example mm. again he does his website he does his YouTube channel he does his Twitter he fully engages mm. with the fans um, he's the role model really from that perspective um, but yeah it just it just makes it more interesting I think for the fans to know a bit more about the snooker player as you say the interviews you generally know which way they're going to go it's mm. you know well played through to the next round so on mm. but with Twitter it's straight from their mouth or keys and um, <laughs> it's, it's just a little bit more um, engagement I guess is mm. the word in terms of the sort of general opinions, though, it can because you did the survey, didn't you? Yes. And, and I thought some of those answers were interesting because they're not always maybe what you would have thought reading Twitter and other things. I think the only time I've ever agreed with David Cameron was um, he said after he won the election because the Tories weren't expected to win. He said that Twitter isn't Britain. In other words, what you read on social media doesn't necessarily reflect the views of most people, and I think that's possibly true in the snooker world. Mm, definitely, I think you've got. Obviously, the same with anywhere else. You've got certain personalities who are stronger, and um, you know you see opinion on Twitter, and um, it's not necessarily reflective of the snooker community as a whole. Mm. Um, one thing I took out of the survey, um, in particular, was that there are still people who visit the website who don't visit Twitter. And yeah. I think over time, I'd lost that perhaps a little mm. bit. I just assume, you know, if there's a small story, I'll put it on Twitter and not mention it on mm. the website, and then not necessarily appreciating people might miss out on that. Mm. And when I looked back at the survey results and people said, not on Twitter, when I asked for favourite Twitter player, favourite player on Twitter, then it's just a little reminder that although it is useful, it's not necessarily um, the be-all and end-all and that mm. there are um, 
fans out there. It's the same with obviously seeing people read the magazine who don't read Twitter yeah, and vice yeah. versa. It's um, it's just one platform of many. Mm. But because one of the things you do read, you, obviously you read quite a few complaints about things. It's it's a, it's a sort of it's a vehicle to complain really. It's very easy to do it. But your survey, basically most of the answers seem that most snooker fans who took part in that were actually quite happy with the, where the game's going. They like the fact there are so many tournaments and they like the sort of the vibe on the circuit, the fact you don't have to wait weeks for the next event and generally you don't want too many things to change. Absolutely, yeah. It was... I don't know if I was surprised or not, to be honest. I wasn't sure what to expect, but um, in the main... I don't want to use the word traditionalist, but I will anyway. <laughs> I'll use but, it. <laughs> we, 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 are, we are two traditionalists, so you can do it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think in the main, the... You know, there's... The, Changes, changing the crowd to a dark style environment was very negatively received but I thought what was good about the survey is that it wasn't totally cliched it wasn't mm. all in favour of traditionalists for example Sean Murphy's talked about players warming up on the match table beforehand and obviously that's got pros and cons against it but people were actually quite open to that idea, mm. it was quite an even split whereas the darts crowds or shot clocks or anything like that was generally quite negative so mm. Um, I think that showed that the survey results were taken quite serious. People took it seriously, and mm. um, you know, it, it was it was interesting from from my point of view. Mm. I I met some guys in Coventry actually. I was at the Champion of Champions, and they were real established Nuga fans. And it was very apparent. I'm chatting with them briefly, but very apparent they could not care less about the new seedings thing or any of these little things that come in that that people get excited about. They just wanted to watch snooker and they said they, go, they were going to York for the UK Championship. They're going to go pre-TV because there were eight tables, you know, two arenas I could go in. And I, I think that's true, isn't it? Not everyone necessarily cares about everything. Some people just want to watch the snooker. No, absolutely. Um, in terms of the rankings, that's the other obvious mm. example. Um, you know, most people couldn't care less. It's just, obviously, from... It's just something I've always had a strange interest in. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. It's, it's blame Jenny Watkins, but <laughs> it's it's just something I, I had an interest in, and obviously there's other people out there. But no, absolutely, I see a lot of people who you know, couldn't tell you where the players were ranked. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting from a player's point of view. Some of them, you know, care where they're ranked. Some of them. Well, I was going to say yeah, because they always say they don't, don't they? They always say oh, ranking's just a number. I don't mind as long as I win, I'll go up. But I suspect that isn't really true, is it? And you would know because they contact you. They do care where they are. Yeah, in the main, I would say that, mm. um, <laughs> especially when it's it's going to get them into events or yeah. not. It's at the end of the day, it's their you know it's their prize money. It's their mm. it's their living. It's not just a hobby for them. They're mm. doing it to put money on the table, food on the table. And um, if they're going to get into an event that's got twelve grand minimum prize money, then they're going to be interested. Mm. <laughs> so um, I, I definitely do think that they they do care. And what, what's your sort of relationship like with the players? What do they like to deal with? I've always had a great relationship. Yeah. Um, I mean, I never, like I said earlier on, I never thought that people would, players would read the site. I never thought anyone involved in snooker would even find their way to it. Um, and it's interesting from my point of view as a fan when you see players on TV and you get your own perceptions of them. You get players you like, players you don't like, um, same as anyone. And then you meet them and it turns out that the player that, you weren't keen on turns out to be a really nice player. Yeah. It's, yeah. It does open my eyes a bit because mm. there's other sports that I want to think I don't like him. Yeah. But then I think from the snooker side, he's probably a really nice guy. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I've been doing the site for seven and a half years and I, I get on with everyone I've spoken to, really, mm. which is very lucky from my point of view. Mm. So, pro, does Pro Snooker Blog continue or does it continue in a new sort of home under the WPBSA banner? 
I think more more will be announced on that in okay. due course. Um, but um, I think it's going to continue in some form, um, mm. whether that's on the WPBSA website, what, what the name is going to be, you know, time will tell. Mm. But um, the important thing is that the core aspect of what I'm doing at the moment, and the thing I want to stress to the readership really, is that I'm not going to stop doing rankings updates and mm. the services that people um, follow my Twitter account for and follow the, the blog for. They are going to continue. They're mm. going to be more on top, but um, I would like to reassure people that that is going to carry on. Good. Everyone, everyone will be very happy to hear that, I'm sure. Um, did, I mean, are you still as much of a, an enthusiast for snooker? Yeah, nothing's changed. Probably mm. more so now. Yeah. You'll, um, wa- you'll watch pretty much every snooker that's on, won't you? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, yeah, it's nothing's changed. I mean, since I've become involved directly with the sport, um, it's only made me more interested, really. Mm. Um, yeah, I've got... Few a few more years to go yet before uh, <laughs> fatigue starts to set in. I hope, but no, I'm still enjoying it as much as ever. Because some people they do, uh, you know, some people don't have satellite television, digital television. They only watch the BBC or the or the ITV events. But you will tune in on a on a Friday morning at the the Paul Hunter Classic or something. You'll be there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think I do believe it's useful to have a bit of a break after the season. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. I do think once you've got the World Championship, obviously you've got your Q school going on, which is not televised. But I, I do. I do think there are benefits to a month or two off, mm. um, or with a few smaller tournaments, perhaps. I just think, same in any sport, you need an off season yeah. to it, just to re-energize you. But also, you can't follow the world championship. It would, it would be awful to have a tournament the week after Sheffield because it would be such, you know, a, a letdown after mm. the Crucible. You, I think you're right. You do need whether it's five or six weeks. Just everybody goes away, re- regains their sanity, you know, and then come, comes back for the new season. And I think that. The way the calendar has gone in the last couple of seasons, I think that started to come back. Obviously, we had the World Cup this year um, in place of Wushi, mm. but um, there was a feel from my point of view that the calendar was perhaps a bit more balanced than a couple of years ago. It just felt a little bit less intense at the start, mm. and I didn't, I didn't think that was a bad thing. Mm. Well, um, yeah. I think next season we've yes. got, got, got four new events. We've got the three UK-based events plus the European Championship, which uh, look like they're all going to be before Christmas, but that's... Uh, well, I was going to say that's not our pay grade. It might be yours soon, actually, now you're working for the WP. We say, well, I'm sure I speak for everyone, Matt, as we wrap up, that uh, you know, we really appreciate all the work you've done for Snooker. And it's good, actually, now you've been recognised for it and you're actually going to be paid for it. Because, oh, thank you. because the, you know, it's an incredible effort. And uh, everyone reads Pro Snooker Blog. And, and more importantly, everyone respects it. You know, I don't think you've ever upset anybody, which is in, in the snooker world is quite an achievement. <laughs> so uh, more power to you. And thanks a lot for being our guest today. Thanks, Dave. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.